Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. Today, friends, we are going to talk about something that is highly requested and it is our number one game-changing greatest of all time, classroom management key. We are excited to talk to you about it. Hi, Amanda. Hey, everybody. How's it going? I am so pumped for this episode. I feel like it's just a really good catch-all for so many questions that kind of overflow into so many areas. I think we're going to catch a lot of people here with some solutions. It's a really solution-oriented episode. Absolutely. We're going to talk about like looking ahead, planning for the future, and ways that will stem a lot of the issues that we run into as classroom teachers with behavior management, especially in 2022, as we are recording this. Right when we started recording, I was telling Amanda how just interesting the last couple of days have been for me teaching only seniors. It is April 2022. And if you know, you know. Teaching the big, big, big kids that are like one foot across the graduation stage at April in any given year is like, we're here. (laughs) And so one good thing is that the keys that we're going to talk about today, like are things that I already have in place. So I can talk about how I'm leaning on that, even when I'm so annoyed with their general state of being. Well, and I think we can talk about the fact that there is no magical hack to 
your classroom management situation. I mean, this is, you know, what we want to talk to you is definitely a looking into the future, big picture thing. But I saw a, a reel on Instagram the other day that was like your number one hack for traveling with children. And the caption was just so <laughs> amazing because the caption was like, you're in it. There is no hack. You're doing it. Just do it. You're going to be fine. And you know, it's that's kind funny. of just, that's the idea here too, is that we're not here with some kind of snake oil promise of, you know, one size fix all kind of solution, but we ha- we do have things that have drastically changed the climate of our classrooms and the way that we handle behavior issues and and conflict and things that happen naturally amongst adults and teenagers. I mean, this is just the way of the world, and we're ready to help you get over the big hurdles. Absolutely, and you know what time it is now? It's time to cue the music. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California. Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals, and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Like I started to say in the intro, it's April. I have all 12th graders, and that's its own special just layer of cake. But that's not a saying, but it's going to be now. Um, mm-hmm. I know that we all know, if you've been around kids, period, you know when it starts getting warm out, when it starts, like, you reach that point in the year. There are always seasons to the year where classroom management, behavior management starts to get a little dicey. And it's like leading up to a big break, like right before winter break is always like <laughs> leading up to even like president's weekend, you know, that like th- or like the three day weekends that we start to get towards the end of winter, spring break. But there is nothing like the end of the school year for behavior management. I feel like that that part is hard, but so is like when the honeymoon is over at the beginning of the year. Yeah, you you're totally know right. Them. It's like, but they're and that's I think what's so frustrating about classroom management is that you th- you've done all this work through the honeymoon period of getting your systems in place, the kids act out, you solve it, you crack the case. But then, like you said, there are still seasons where it keeps coming back. And the hardest is the end of the year again, because you've done all this work. You love these kids. You feel like you've got this awesome relationship and then they're acting like total goofballs. That is the PG version of the word that I really want to use. <laughs> and you're like, guys, like what gives, you know, we, we had this great respectful relationship and they're bonkers. Well, and a couple episodes while you were gone, one of the solo ones that I did was in response to a bunch of different questions. And one of the questions that I got was, how do you not take it personally when kids act up? I mean, and and what I said was, if I took it personally every time a child acted up, including my own who I birthed into this world, I would not... Uh, get a lot done. Like I would, I would be very upset all the time because, and I would also be totally misinterpreting (laughs) situations. It's not about me. It's not about us as teachers. Is it an affront to us when students outright act out and it's at us or in front of us or in our class? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's annoying and we have to deal with it, but 99.9% of the time, it's not about us at all. 
And there are ways to curb most of it. There's always the special cases. So like as as you're listening today, friends, know that we know we are very well aware of the special cases and the special cases are few and far between. Maybe they're like more now, especially like in post-quarantine world. But like I'm holding out hope that behavior will go back to the normal seasons of behavior (laughs) in the next few years as we like come out of kids learning from home and get back to more of the way it used to be. There are ways to deal with very like proactive behavior or like actions that we can take that that's what we're going to talk about today do you want to kick us off because i'm rambling uh no i i mean i don't think you're rambling i think you're really just setting the stage for what we want to go over today and that is the big picture it is this might not even feel helpful to you right now you might be frustrated with this what we're going to share with you because it's not an immediate something you can take away or something you can print and hang in your classroom Right. Not in that way. It's immediate in that it can help you tomorrow. It can help you next week because we're talking about putting firm plans in place. Yes. Yeah. And that is something that is, it's so, it feels like you're moving away from classroom management when you move into lesson planning. But after you've been around the block a few times and you recognize that a big picture plan with lesson plans organized to meet specific goals. That is the classroom management secret. I can tell you right now, I I can distinctly remember the differences between my first, I'd say four or five years of teaching when, and I, if I described that time, it was, I had a blank slate. I could teach whatever I wanted. I thought it was amazing. I was making up units during the assessment of the unit previous and I was figuring it all out from scratch. And like so much of that was liberating and taught me about how to teach and what works and what doesn't. But what the uglier side of that was as a new teacher anyway, is that I spent so much time lesson planning and just throwing things at the wall that kids never felt that sense of consistency, predictability. They didn't know what today's lesson was going to do for the next day or the next day or the next day. And guess what? Neither did I. And so that's why Marie and I are here to share just kind of the benefits of getting to a place where you can look at your year as a whole. You can look at that and then break it down by units. And I was just doing a PD yesterday with a school in Nevada. And it's like, you don't need to have day-by-day lessons. No one's telling you to stop responding to student needs. However, I think having an intentional trajectory of your year, a goal, like this year is dedicated to you, 10th grade students, and we are trying to discover who controls our future. And we're going to look at it through this lens, this lens, this book, this book, uh, this project, and this essay. I mean, when we can say at least that, that is one of the most comforting structures that we can give to students. And and that's what we really want to talk about today. Yeah. So, I'm and Amanda already said it, our big classroom management key is a solid curriculum. It is knowing where you're going with students. It's knowing how you're going to get there. And it's knowing, like really understanding your foundation has been created where you as the teacher, as the instructor will be able to respond to student needs along the way and still get to the goal in mind or get to some semblance of that goal in mind. And what we want to talk about, I mean, 
yes, we can start getting into more of the nitty gritty and the philosophy of like curriculum design. That is what we cover in our course curriculum rehab. Many of you have gone through curriculum rehab and you're probably nodding along like, yep, yep, yep. That's pillars. Knowing the end game so that we can truly backwards plan is the absolute best way to do it pretty much anything, (laughs) but like, especially as a classroom teacher, but having what really we want to talk about today is more of how that curriculum smooths out issues before they even arise. And then when they do arise, those that do end up bubbling to the surface, like I'm having right now, like I'm not saying that it's going to eradicate classroom behavior issues, but I can share ways that my solid curriculum is helping me navigate those issues and is like creating a place for me as the teacher to land and to point students when things get a little bit hairy. I think so to that, to that point, I would say like my number one in that is having, if I were to choose, if there were two worlds I could live in and the options were less is more and do all the things I want to live in less is more land. And this goes back to that, you know, comment I made earlier about the, you know, planning as you go and trying all the things like it's really fun. But I think classroom management wise, what I've found is when we talk about classroom strategies, we got a a couple of them to share with you today. There's a squirrel very close. Yeah, that was literally a yeah, I just had one of those moments. where we talk about shiny object syndrome, there was a squirrel staring me down just now. Um, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen you really in don't. my backyard. But no, I really do think that that predictable structures within these units, within these years is one of the best things you can do for yourself because it's when, you know, you have a PD person come in or you have, uh, you found a new website and you're like, Oh, I gotta try it. So Mm -hmm. they're finding the balance between trying new things and having systems in your class of things that you do regularly and do them well and get better at them. That is going to be something that curbs your classroom management and something that you can return to when kids are getting finicky. Um, You know, you, maybe you tried something new, you can feel it starting to fray. You can rein things back in and be like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to do this thing that we know how to do together. Well, Back to home base, right? Like it's back to home base. Let's get back to our foundation and then we can settle and then move forward. Yeah. That's what always happened to me. Like whenever I felt like I came back from a break or we got toward the end of the year, sometimes I would stop doing bell work. So I would like let the beginning of class, right? Like, like, oh my gosh. Like, cause you think, okay, you know, let's just get the class started. We don't need this anymore. And then by like day four or five, you're like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Yeah. So that's a perfect example of like bell work for me is like number one priority day one to day 180. Like it's got to stay in place just because it it's what helps me rein things in and keep things working. But it is very tempting to let go of some of these things, especially when you're teaching upper grade students, like you're teaching 11th and 12th graders and you're making them do bell work. It feels a little bit. I know. but Well, I mean, so yours is more of like a day-to-day example, but like I have an example right here, right now of more of the, the flow of every three or four weeks in my class. So for those of you who are newer around here, or maybe I just like you haven't heard me talk about how my class schedules work. We're on a quarter system at my school. So I had all new kids in mid-January. In mid, I had all new kids mid-January. Is that the right way to say that? Yes. That sounded better. Thank you. I finished off, right? Like the whole entire course at the beginning of the year. And then now I'm 
whole new batch. And I've got, we're rounding out the last quarter of the years coming slowly to a close. I don't know. We've got eight weeks left as we're recording this. And so in a nine-week quarter, I normally have maybe three three-week units, or I'll have two units, one that's like four and one, you know, like five, whatever. Within those units, though, I like to kind of template it out or just have like a regular flow to things. Like day-to-day, we'll have Monday's normally going to be something where we're setting up what's going to be happening the whole rest of the week. So there's going to be some like new content being introduced. And then Tuesday, we'll deal with it. And Wednesday, there's going to be some sort of an assessment practice. And Thursday is going to be a lot of discussion or independent work. Like it's much more loosey-goosey. Friday is going to be some sort of an assessment and a activity, something a little bit more interactive and more creative, maybe. Having that structure to the week, I have found I can lean on it. I can lean on it. I I design my curriculum around it. I make it so that it fit and it it can feel sometimes pretty like structured like to a fault. Like it can feel like I'm stuck in a box. And whenever I try to change the box, I go, oh, that's (laughs) price. We were not ready on this Monday for a discussion. We were ready for new content. We were ready to take things in. We were not ready to process and push it back out yet. Like it (laughs) happened to me yesterday. We got back from spring break and I tried to start with stations. I just, the discussion piece just wasn't going to happen. They wanted to do independent work. And then today they were ready Tuesday for station like discussions. And I was like, okay, well, clearly I've got them well-trained. And we need to stay with it. But then also like going forward into the rest of this year, even though I only have seven weeks after this one of the school year, any time that I want to like deviate really from the plan, I'm going to need to make sure that within the next week I come back to our regularly scheduled programming because it's going to, if I deviate too far and like we do a big project, I can't spend two weeks of them working on a project. Nothing will get done. After about three days, it's going to, you know... (laughs) It's going to get a little stale. So being able to lean back on that structure that I have in place and then plan my curriculum within that structure makes it so I just don't have to think that much and I can just lean on all the work I've already done. This episode is brought to you by Curriculum Rehab by us, the team here at Brave New Teaching. It is the first and only teacher PD of its kind, a course to help teachers like you by guiding you through creating your own personal framework for curriculum. You make it work for you, your students, and your unique situation because nobody else knows what the kiddos in your classroom need the way that you do. Curriculum Rehab takes all of the resources available to you, all of the lessons, the assessments, the activities, all of the texts, everything that could possibly be there for you, and it helps you organize what you actually need in order to attain your teaching objectives. These are the strategies that Amanda and myself have used in our own classrooms, have developed over very long years of teaching and figuring things out combined together to create this framework and these strategies that we can guide you through. This course will give you the tools you need for a complete curriculum overhaul or to start from scratch. Wherever you are on that continuum, it does it all for you and with you on your timeline. So start today, do a little bit more in a couple of months, and then pick it up next summer. It's Teacher PD the way it should be on your own time. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash course for more information, or just head to the show notes for this episode. 
We cannot wait to see you there. It's finally time to take control of what goes on in your own classroom and create the curriculum of your dreams. All right, let's get back into the show. If, so if there's one thread that's that's flowing through this conversation is, you know, planning is not to be the thing that you put off. Put off the grading, <laughs> put off the decor or like put off whatever it is that you need to. If classroom management is a struggle that you're feeling, you know, excessively, like I know that we're all feeling it in the way that the world is readjusting itself. But if it's feeling like a consistent struggle and you feel like your year doesn't have a solid structure to it, whatever that looks like for you, that would be a really good place to start putting your energy because otherwise you're going to feel that daily scramble, the scramble to to put out fires left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. We're not promising this is going to be an end all solution, but the thoughtfulness that you put into a, your year long EQ, B, your unit EQs, C, how those things flow into one another, how those assessments build on one another, how your structure within the week helps achieve those goals and your routines in the daily help mm-hmm. achieve those goals. I mean, Marie and I are really talking about this like zoomed out version that sometimes we forget about when we're stuck in the daily grind of the behavior that's driving us nuts in the moment. Um, So permission this summer to, I mean, really give the big picture a look. Um, And even if you are in a scripted curriculum situation, there's nothing that says you can't put on top of that something meaningful to you that's going to connect the dots. Your students will appreciate it. Um, You will. And I think that, you know, what Marie and I really want to share with you as we kind of wrap up this episode is another 20 favorite things. As you know, we are counting down to our hundredth episode and giving you a hundred of our favorite things. And today we want to share with you 20 of our favorite classroom instructional strategies. And these are the things that Marie and I are talking about that are going to happen in rotation, right? Like on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you kind of plan out the types of things you like to have in those places or the types of things you like to have at the start of a unit or end of a unit at the start of a quarter or the end of a quarter. Um, These are the things that we really like. I think we're only going to share 10 right now, and then we're going to put the rest in the show notes. Yes. Otherwise we'll be here for like three hours. Well, and so Amanda had mentioned early in this episode that this isn't like a take and go, like print and go strategy or like activity sort of a thing. But I, I would even dare say you can take any of the things that we are talking about and implement it tomorrow really the biggest takeaway is to lean on the work you've already done, right? Like lean on the work you've already done and then looking forward maybe to next year, maybe to next week, put your plans in place. Like Amanda said, don't put off planning, even though you kind of feel a little bit guilty sometimes because that's the really fun part or like you feel like, oh, I really should get back to whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm just so tired because their behavior has been off, like they're they're bouncing off the walls. Dedicate some time to that planning and to that solid curriculum. Take a few of these instructional strategies that maybe you haven't used in a while, or maybe it's time to introduce a little something new into the mix because having that tight plan in place so that you know where you're going is going to help you be able to navigate when pitfalls come and all of that good stuff. Uh, The first instructional strategy that we have for you, we have talked about so many times 
on this podcast. We've run through them all and it's close reading. Yeah. Amanda, give us the quick and dirty. I've never heard what close reading is. Tell me what it is. Close reading, we're going to take a section, a small section of text and hold it under a microscope. And we're going to look at it for a very specific purpose. And we're going to let that text speak to that immediate like plot moment, but also the things that are happening around it in context. So this is something that Marie and I have talked about in all of our festivals. So I highly recommend you check out our festivals. We do walkthroughs of close reads in there all the time. I have some videos on YouTube linked for all of this. Um, and this, when you, Marie, you were talking about your weekly plan, two days of a five day week for me are close reading every single yeah. week. Easy. Yeah. There are variations of it, but it is, it is for sure close reading twice a week. Yeah, it is like both of our classrooms, number one favorite strategy for all the things. Our second favorite strategy for your classroom is a Socratic seminar or a structured discussion, right? Like a highly structured discussion. If you missed our discussion series, it's in the 70s, the low 70s. We've got three episodes, numbers of episodes, three episodes that talk about discussion and we talk in depth about different types of discussion, Socratic seminar being one of them. It's great for assessment, but it's also great for introducing ideas and instruction from that standpoint. Our third instructional strategy is small group instruction. So where we're talking about Socratic, you're normally talking about like whole group, close reading, whole group. This takes whatever it is that you're doing and brings it into a small group. Do you want to talk about small group? That's my other day. Yes. <laughs> so if we're at five days a week, one day is dedicated to something small group and then two days are close reading. Um, small group can be so many things. I think what's what's wonderful about small group is it can be homogenous, heterogeneous, the numbers don't have to be equal. Um, I can have, you know, typically I like to do a small group activity following some kind of formative assessment. So I'm using whatever I learned in that formative to kind of put me into a position where I can now group students in a way that's going to help me either reteach, challenge, or circle back on something. So I can, you know, small group for me is really instructionally powerful in that way. Um, especially, like I said, the day after an assessment, because a lot of times I'll take, you know, these three kids are rock stars. They got it. No problem. I'm going to give them a totally separate task. I've got another section of kids who maybe need to reread something. So that's what they're going to do. Um, so my groups can be doing different things. They can be doing close reading and looking mm-hmm. for different things. Um, sometimes if we read a passage, I might have one group looking at the person- use of personification. The other group is looking more at the context, the, the speaker and the context of the passage, right? So everyone can look at some something different. I think it's just one of the most flexible and over, like, I think we, sometimes we try to overcomplicate the world of teaching and small groups is just, if you, if you kids learn at the beginning of the year, how you do small groups, like how they get to small groups, uh, where they go, how they turn their desks when that procedural stuff is trained in them, it's just such a nice go-to flexible strategy that you don't have to overthink. And it's a nice way to break up the week. Like, you know, with 41 kids in my class, it's nice to be able to sit down with a smaller group of even 10 to be able to like look them in the eyes directly. (laughs) Like it's, it's a humanizing point too. That is just a little bit different. Um, 
Okay, the next one I know is one of your favorites. I don't know the last time. Oh, no, I do know the last time I did a Venn diagram. It was not that recently. (laughs) So I don't think I've ever put this out here. I don't know why I don't talk about this. I should do an entirely separate episode just on the Venn diagram. So not the Venn diagram, but what I like to use, I believe maybe it's a a Kagan strategy. I'm like pulling this from an early part of my career and I've used it for a (laughs) long time because it works. But basically the Venn diagram that I use is sectioned. So you have your two circles overlapping, but then what I add across are lines. So let's say, let's say just for fun, we're doing, um, oh, sitters in the hands of an angry God and Obama's eulogy for John. No, no, we have talked about this. We talked about this with those texts. Yes. In, I think that's one of our early that episode. Yes, we will. It's where we talked about to, it's about teaching American documents or something like that. Yeah. The key is, is like when you draw these lines across the Venn diagram, you're categorizing what they're looking to compare. So the first thing that they might compare and contrast is the speaker. Then they're going to compare and contrast the tone. Then they're going to compare and contrast the setting. Then they're going to compare and contrast, right? So like you on that left-hand side, like all the way on the left-hand side can name the different categories of what you want students to compare and contrast. This lesson is so freaking brilliant and like it flows so nicely because right, you, you've read the texts probably the day before you come in and talk about small groups. I can assign each small group a different section. Then they can share out from their small group and we collaborate together. Um, small groups can work on the whole thing. We can share out together. I feel like it just fits that perfect lesson plan time beat, you know, <laughs> between like, I, you know, I give some instructions, they work, we share, they work, I share. It's not too overwhelming of a task. Like the, you know, it's a small space, but they it can do chunks some- it up. It chunks it up nicely. It makes it concentrated. Like, and the visual that you're describing makes it approachable and accessible. And then it's ready for writing. But it's like, it's, so it's very easy for the next day or if her homework or however you do it is then to ask a question where the kids produce writing because they've got a ton of pre brain work done. Well, and this, I'm going to skip ahead one on our list here. Um, But this leads us to one of my absolute favorites, which is this jigsaw. Oh yeah. Right. Or like sometimes I'll call it experts in the room because yes, I don't know. Jigsaw makes me think of that one horror movie, but like I have nightmares where we make them, in, you know, where kids get to be in smaller groups or whether at their four person table of ta- person one, two, three, four, you're each responsible for a different piece of whatever it is. And then there's so much students can learn about uh, learning through inquiry and fi- finding things out for themselves or like you can do, it's like small group instruction where you can do smaller tasks and then they get to share out where they're not completely responsible for everything. But at the same time, they are practicing smaller skills like note-taking, like research, like whatever it is, and then sharing out what they learned with the rest of the group. I do like a good jigsaw. If, if like you've ever done it, oh, sorry, go ahead, Marie. No, I, say, I just like to call it experts in the room or I like to call it different things to make it sound fancier than it is. There's a really great, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. There's a great animated video that uh, Jen Gonzalez at the Cult of Pedagogy, mm-hmm. back in the day she was making instructional videos like this and her jigsaw one, I always link for people because it's so cleanly and clearly explained. Um, so if you're new to jigsaw or struggling with jigsaw, her little video is super helpful. That's a good one. 
Let's talk about Four Corners. I like me a good Four Corners. I will never forget when you were like, oh, you're virtual? Just do Four Corners. And I was like, I don't understand any of the things you're saying. And then you were like, on a Google slide. And I was like, oh my gosh, I hate myself. On a Jamboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, okay. So I think that the the common thread of why Marie and I are finding all of these to be in our comfort zone is that I think a lot of these strategies have a structure that we can teach. We can rinse and repeat the type of activity, mm-hmm. but it's, they're so open of what you can put into them in terms of content. Um, and they're so flexible in that they don't, kids might be like, Oh, another four corners. Like they're not because the conversation is totally different. Right. Because it's because they've learned the task, but what they're doing with the task or the way that they're using the strategy is different for kids with four corners. Kids love to talk about their opinions on things. And so in four corners, they can have any one of four opinions or three corners or five corners, like however you want to call it that. But it's basically, here's a statement. This corner means this opinion. This one means this one, right? And they move physically to their according opinion and they have to choose something. And you can step that up to a philosophical chairs version where, you know, corners are trying to convince people to move from the corner where they're standing and, you know, gain followers in a way. Uh-huh. Um, and that's really nice. It's it's something that if it's not going well, you can shut it down. <laughs> yeah. you can, you, if, if kids are not participating or they're just going to the corner where their friends are and you're having just kind of a rough day, you don't need to keep going. You can shut it down, send kids back to their seat and continue it in writing or continue it from small groups. You know, it's, it's, I think that's why I like it too, is that you can get out of it if you have to. All right. We have four more. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. I already talked about this actually at the beginning here. Uh, Stations or centers is one of my favorite ways to reintroduce, not to reintroduce, to introduce something new or to further process something that we've already been working on. I generally use stations at the beginning of a unit, but I'm starting to see more and more how I need to push them further back because students start to get that, oh, we're doing stations again, as they're learning something new and it gets it loses its luster after you do it for a couple of units. So I'm going to start pushing them a little bit further into my units to break things up, to make it a little bit different, right? And just to make it spicy. I like to use stations for close reading, actually. Yes, that's you a do. Favorite. It's a yeah, good one. That's a really good one. I just kind of, again, like close reading can have that same thing of we're doing this again. Um, and, and once kids are better close readers, uh, they need to be better independently before you can do them as stations. But I, I like that blend is really nice too. Yeah, it is good. I like that one a lot. Okay, spare change game show. This is one of yours and I actually have no idea what it is. Oh, it's so easy. So it's just a, a quick invention that I put, I pulled together in my classroom and the spare change is, is you need a coin. It's a you're flipping a coin. And I, I basically have a slide deck set up with yes or no as the heads or the tails and then a prompt. So students are in pairs or in teams, however you want to do it. And the prompt that's there is something I don't know, either novel centered, or it could just be argumentative. And then the goal of it is that students will be engaged in debate and argument. They're practicing uh, using evidence, thinking on their feet, um, and they're thinking uh, uh, counter argument. And so the way it works is I put on the screen, uh, it says yes, no, and then the, the prompt, and then they flip a coin to figure out 
which side they have to argue. So if you flip heads, you have to be no. If you flip tails, right, you have to be yes. And so I give 30 seconds for the yes, 30 seconds for the no, 30 seconds for a rebuttal, 30 seconds for a rebuttal, and then we move on. Um, And it's really fun to you just kind of just spark things. Like one I have in, in The Great Gatsby, one of the prompts is uh, Daisy deserves the reader's pity. And so the yes, the affirmative, they have to find evidence like on the fly to argue for that. And then the other side has to right refute it and back and forth, back and forth. So it's also a little sneaky way of checking in on reading because you can see kids fumbling if they don't have mm-hmm. a lot of evidence, but you don't have to make it an assessment or something points driven. And then, of course, you can do it with like, you know, concerts are overrated, you know, and then everyone comes at you. Yeah. At your throat, you know, a hundred percent. And you're like, you flipped the coin. It's not my fault. It's not my, it's not my fault. It's not my I just, fault. I just need a good burn CD and I'm fine. You know? Uh, all right. Two more. Number nine, speed dating. I love this strategy. I love it for getting kids to talk to people that they don't normally talk to. I like it because it's fast and they must move quickly. I like it because it's got a finite end. And it's, I do too. (laughs) I just like a good finite end. Like the timer is up. You must stop, go back to your seats. Um, And it's every, I mean, there's more in-depth explanations of speed dating, but it's everything that it sounds like, right? Where speed dating, you've got a certain amount of time where you and a partner are talking about something, whatever that something is, depends on what it is that you are doing in class. And after the timer goes off, you swap partners, you get to a new partner, you talk about either the same thing or something new timer goes off, however many rounds you go through. And then the timer ends. And then the activity ends. There's no, Oh, should I wrap this up now? No No. timer told me to I'm done. It's like the same thing that I just described with the spare change. It's just a different format. It's beautiful. I love all that stuff. I I like it. That's why we love things that they're simple and easy to recreate with minimal actual planning time. Yes. And it makes them move. I like that one too. Okay. The last one is actually quickly becoming my favorite strategy. It's called a silent discussion. You've done silent discussions. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yep. Lots of different ways. Yes. I love a silent discussion. I love, I love the, it gives kids a break. Yes. I think that those discussions, that way we do so many of them are really demanding. And in terms of like, being engaged and on like your whole self. And I think the silent discussion lets you let students take a breath, think, and then write, but in a way that's still contributing to others. I really like that very much. I, and it also allows, I mean, talk about equity, right? Like it, it, it allows students who might not be that comfortable talking or just might not, yeah, feel feel super confident on their feet. Um, it allows them to think about what they're going to do because everybody's quote unquote discussing at the same time because they're writing. It's a silent discussion. So the way that I run silent discussions around my room is I'll have probably five different prompts, eight different prompts, and I'll make two copies of each one and they're in two different colors. So kids have one side and then the other side. And in a certain amount of time, they have to rotate through all five or eight on whatever their color is. And then after that first rotation, they swap to the other color and they respond to what, like, however I want to make those instructions go. Um, And so they don't know who they're responding to as well. I like that. I keep it anonymous. A silent discussion is nice because it's anonymous and it creates more authentic discourse 
and they're actually talking to each other without talking. I like it. And that's how I use it with, I use a one word discussion, which is very similar. And the responses are silent. They're, they're choice. Students can choose. I usually give them a list of 10 words that they're responding to and they can choose their favorite three um, and they can connect to each other, connect to just the word. There's a lot of, a lot of choice for them involved, which is nice and, and flexible, which is a, a huge goal for us. So friends, like Amanda said before, we have 10 more for you. We have these 10 and then 10 more uh, instructional strategies that we really like in our classroom and that some of them we use more often than others, but some are fun to pepper in. Make sure you go to the show notes for today's episode for that. And if you take nothing else away from today's episode, take away that you have every single, not just right, but we encourage you to prioritize your planning. If you feel like you have to do it, it's because you do. Prioritize your planning. Prioritize figuring out what you're going to do tomorrow, figuring out what you're going to do next Monday so you don't have those Sunday scaries. So that then on Monday when behavior problems do arise, you're not totally frazzled because you you know spent your whole Sunday trying to like scramble something together and then it's not even quite working out. Prioritize that stuff that you know is going to matter in the long run because it really does matter, even though you feel the pull to do the grading, do the emailing, do the other things as well. It is a priority. And be patient with yourself. You know, just to reiterate what we saw or we said earlier of this list of 20 strategies, I did try to do all of the things right from the get-go. It will behoove you to get good at a few a few at a time. If you can practice stations until you can do them in your sleep, you can plan them in your sleep, you will be the beneficiary, your students will be, your classroom management will change. And then slowly layer on new things as you've perfected others. Um, And I don't mean perfected in like being perfect, but uh, but you've you've reached that level of comfort. Yes. And you can manage it and plan it quickly is that's I think for me where I, where I want to be. Um, and then slowly layer, slowly layer and slowly layer. You don't have to know how to do all of them well, but you do have to know how to do enough of them well that your kids feel secure and solid. And then you're in a predictable state. Yeah. And then you're not spending your energy on the things that you don't need to spend them on. You can spend your energy in places that fill you up, like enjoying your students company. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a week or two from now when I get to enjoy their company a little bit more than I do right now. They're being kind of turkeys and talking about their senior ditch day and it's super annoying and I'm done. But I am leaning on my uh, plans and we are going to be peppering in some more of these activities that we haven't done in a while so we can get back to basics and I can lean on the work I've already done. Friends, thank you for listening this week. We know we just kind of threw a bunch at you and these like lists of 20 things, we still have a few more to come your way. They lighten up a bit, but we just know that curriculum is the key to classroom management. So we wanted to start the discussion here. (laughs) Come and find us if you want to hear more about it. If you want to check out Curriculum Rehab, head to bravenewteaching.com. We've got more information for you in the show notes as well. Um, Yeah. We'll have very detailed show notes, I think, to compensate for the how fast we had to go through everything. Uh, we'll definitely give you as much as we can there to help you out. Absolutely. Have a wonderful week ahead. We hope that the day is treating you well, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. 
We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school. 